0: Today, we're going to be reading Luke 10, 25 through 37. That's on page 869 in the Bibles around the room. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use um, and take home this Bible to study, because yes, Ecclesiastes is going to be an exciting book to study. When I'm done reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you're going to reply, thanks be to God, because indeed, this is this inspired word of God that he has left for us, and we are very, very grateful. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We can get so focused on our own lives that we, like the priest and the Samaritan and the Levite, ignore the, the hurt and walk on by. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your call to help people in our city, Father. Open our hearts to the message this morning. Let us be people of mercy. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: All right. So today we have a special treat. I'm going to invite up Greg. This is uh, Greg. He is. Everybody say hi, Greg. He's a handsome fellow. He has three G's in his name, so we call him Triple G, Greg. And uh, Greg is somebody who has been a pastor at other churches in the past. And uh, a handful of years ago, he moved to Reno and uh, joined Living Stones. And for the last year, year and a half, he's been going through the Reno elder, the Reno pastor process of Living Stones. Um, But him and I started talking and and uh, we really feel like Greg is called to be a pastor at the Sparks Living Stones, and so he's going to be moving his family out here. He's got five kids, and um, we're going to be doing his pastoral interview here coming up. But he is going to be preaching the text for today, and so um, we're really excited to have him here with us. And so I just wanted to introduce you to him. He's a great guy. He loves the Lord. Um, One of my favorite things, you guys know that I weep about Jesus, you know, like he weeps about Jesus. And that's like one of the things that's, I think is really um, cool about Greg and his love. And so I know that you guys are going to be well fed with this message today. So um, take it away, man. man. All right. Thanks, Kyle.
2: So uh, most of my wit isn't come when I write sermons, but as I'm sitting here thinking this morning, I, all kinds of funny things were coming to my mind. One of the things I, I know why Kyle asked me to preach this Sunday instead of next, it's because of my slight speech impediment. I have heart, trouble with S's and Ecclesiastes is a, is a tough word to spit out. Uh, when, I do, when I do weddings, I always close with a benediction from Thessalonians, which is typically butchered when I finally get to it, if I don't slow down uh, if you have the ESPN app on your phone, it's Super Bowl Sunday, please silent it because you will be getting alerts the entire service. Um, so yeah, Kyle introduced me, I'm Greg. Uh, we've been in the Reno area almost four years now and have loved it. We've known uh, Living Stones for quite a while uh, through different venues. Uh, I've known uh, Harvey, uh, a new uh, Donald Zimmerman, the pastor, the worship pastor at the Reno Church who's now up in Seattle. Um, so you know, when we came here, it was pretty much automatic for us just to join this congregation. Um, so we've, we've been loving it. We've been loving being up here in Sparks. You know, we came up here for the first time about two months ago. Things have been awesome. You guys have been very hospitable, and we've uh, just loved sitting under Kyle's preaching and being here uh Worshiping with Dom and the band has been excellent. So this morning, we're looking at the table. If you guys have been with us throughout this series, the table series is more or less our statement of, of who we are called to be as a church, what our missional distinctives are. We have them on the wall. Uh, pretty sure it used to be four, and then we, we jumped to five in the last year. So we're jumping up. Hopefully, we'll fill the wall up. We'll have distinctives all over the place at some point. But the table is is someplace uh, that is Referenced a ton in the Bible, but it's someplace that we're all very familiar with. We gather around the table for Christmas dinner. We gather around the table to play poker with our buddies. We gather around the table to have arguments uh, with our families. We gather around the table at work to discuss business. So it's something that we can all relate to. It's an intimate place. And Jesus, we we know, is referred to as someone who reclined at the table. He gathered at the table with both the religious and the irreligious. He gathered at the table with his friends, and he gathered at the table with his foes. And Christianity is an invitation to God's table. Given through the perfect work of Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died a sinner's death, who rose again for the salvation of his own. So when God saves us, he's not just forgiving us and adopting us, but he's calling us to his table where we have fellowship and where we can feast together. So we've been going through this as a family of churches. We've been going through these key distinctives. We've, we've talked about being a family of churches that has uh, a conviction to bring outsiders insiders. So we're saying not only uh, non-believers. We want to call non-believers to join us in a family. We want, to, we want to find those who have left the church, who have, have stepped out of community. We want to invite them in to join us as a family, bringing those outsiders to where we are now as insiders, to call them to join with us. We, we've talked about being a family of disciples, making disciples um, Kyle talked about what it means to be a disciple. We, we follow and we submit to a teacher. In, the, in our case, we're talking about Jesus Christ, and we want to bring others into that. We bring outsiders, they become insiders. Now we want to disciple them. We want them to know what it means to be a Christian. And then we talked about being a family seeking unity and diversity. So we don't want to just look like the community that we live in. But we want to look like the community that God has established from the beginning, a people of every tribe, of every tongue, and of every nation. So we celebrate and we work hard to push for diversity. We talked about last week being a family of churches planting churches. That we see the need in the Reno area to plant more churches. In the North Valleys, uh, in you know, we just planted the, the South Reno Church, probably northwest at some point. You know, there's there's plenty of room for multiple churches so that people can be in true biblical community in the regions around the Reno-Sparks area. And we've planted down in Carson, and we're, we're out in Elko, and we see this vision for northern Nevada, but not just that. We see a vision for God's church being planted locally throughout the world, and that's why we support that as a church. So this morning, we hit kind of one of the key distinctives. When I first started to get to know the guys at Living Stones probably eight, nine years ago, uh, that was something that was came up pretty quick, this idea of being in the city for the city. If you guys saw Harvey, this was maybe five, six years ago, did a TED Talk, and that's, that's what the TED Talk was about, being in the city for the city. So this, I see, is a key distinctive of what we believe as a local expression of God's church. So what this means for us is that we're not a church that isolates ourselves from the rest of the world, but that Jesus calls us and expects us to be a light in the world, to be salt in a decaying world. So that's when we get to Luke 10. So two questions I want you guys to be thinking about and asking ourselves this morning are are these. How do I seek the welfare of my city, and what does it look like to love my neighbor? If you're here as a young Christian or or not a Christian at all, and you wonder what it means to be a Christian, what is is this Christian life all about? You came on a great Sunday because this is it. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. And we're talking about the Good Samaritan. This is honestly probably one of the most recognizable texts of the Bible, especially in, in America today, in North America, because all 50 states have a Good Samaritan law of some sort. So even if you don't know it comes from the Bible, this idea of the Good Samaritan, this idea of loving our neighbor, it's it's, it's well known. Uh, if you're not familiar with Good Samaritan laws, basically, and it kind of comes in two forms. One has to do with food and one has to do with kind of medical. But if you see somebody who's uh, passed out, injured, and they need help, the law says that they can't sue you if you were trying to help them. So if you're trying to be good, they can't sue you. If you give food to the people who need it and they, they sue you for food poisoning or something, you're covered. There's a good Samaritan law. It means do good. The, the, the world expects us to do good, and they expect that there wouldn't be negative repercussions for that. So um, so that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the call of Jesus to be a good Samaritan. I hope as we look at this text that, uh, although it should be familiar to all of us, um, we glean something new from it this morning. So as we start, we're going to talk about these five characters, um, six when we count Jesus, but the five characters that Jesus brings out. So uh, I'm going to highlight each of these as we go uh, through this. And each of these characters should point us to our need for the Savior that we find in Jesus Christ. Let's jump in the text. So verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is more pivotal than we probably have ever Read this text. We usually read, we kind of skip through all that. We get to the part where Jesus starts telling this story. But the lawyer here, this is, this is kind of essential that we understand what, what's happening. The lawyer is not asking a question because he really wants the answer, he's trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself. See, the Pharisees have seen what Jesus has been doing throughout the book of Luke up to this point. Uh, we see that Jesus has been healing the sick, he's been raising people from the dead performing all kinds of miracles. He's calmed the seas. He's claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He's offered forgiveness of people's sins. He's proclaimed that man must not live by law, the law, but be born again to inherit eternal life. And he claimed to be the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament prophecy. So the Pharisees see Jesus as not only a threat to them, but as a blasphemer, punishable by death. So they're trying, this guy's trying to set Jesus up. He wants Jesus to incriminate himself by basically claiming, again, what he's been claiming to be the Christ. So the lawyer's essentially putting him in on the stand here. He wants Jesus to deny the law, but Jesus, being Jesus, flips it right back on him. he says in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So the lawyer, in trying to get Jesus to deny the law of the Old Testament, has gotten Jesus to proclaim the law of the Old Testament, to affirm that it is God's law, that this is the truth. This is what we are called to do as Christians. And so, the lawyer probably pauses for a second, but then he answers. He says in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I think it's interesting to point out here, I think probably in my younger uh, Christian life, I, I thought that was one of the Ten Commandments, and maybe you do too, and it's, it's not. Uh, it is not one of the Ten Commandments, but rather, it's the sum of the law. It's the sum of the law. We see in Deuteronomy 5, uh, the writer of Deuteronomy unpacks the, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, and then in, in, in chapter 6, this is what he says, that you should, the basic sum of all of this is that we love the Lord, our God, first with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and then we love our neighbor as ourself. So Jesus answers him and says, you've answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Now, if the lawyer were really smart, he would have shut his mouth right there and walk down the road. But as we see in the next verse, that was not what he wanted to do. We see that he said, desiring to justify himself, the lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor? Again, what do we see? Justifying himself, he's trying to find a loophole. Is what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, "Okay, love my neighbor." Well, well, well who is my neighbor? I need to, I need you to define it so I know who to love. What he wants Jesus to say is, "Oh yeah, it's the guys in your cul-de-sac that look just like you, that like the same things that you like, that drive a big truck, and you guys can hurt, hurt, hurt on the weekends, and that's that's who I'm calling you to love." But but that's what he's doing. He's not, he's, not, he's not asking, again, it's not a sincere question. He's looking for a loophole. This is what we do every day with the law of God. We're looking for those loopholes. We're looking for a way out. When we attempt to do this, we're reminded of, of the text we just went through in the fall when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus destroys this idea of self-justification. When he's talking about the law of God and he says, look, it's not, it's not just doing the things that you've been told not to do. It's even thinking the things that you're called not to do. So Jesus, as he likes to do, he tells a story after this. So this guy is, well, who's, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, well, instead of just saying, well, it's Bob and it's Joe and it's Frank over there. He's, he tells him a story and he says in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So this is the second character in our story. We don't, we don't know a whole lot about this man. We know he was walking home or somewhere. He got beat down, taken, and left for half dead in the ditch. Uh, a lot of scholars kind of interject that he was uh, quite possibly a Jewish man, but we don't necessarily know that from the text. Um, so that's character two jumping into 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So character number three is this priest, a Jewish priest, and he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. So that's up on the hill to, uh, of Jerusalem, down Jericho. So we can we can make an assumption or, or think likely this guy, this priest, just came from the temple in Jerusalem. He, he came from serving his month-long tour of duty as a priest, doing priestly things. And so he's walking along, walking back home, sees a man in need, and walks by the other side. Perhaps he was ready to get home. He missed his wife. He missed home-cooked meals. He missed laughing with his kids around the dinner table and did not have time to stop. Perhaps he thought the man was going to die anyway. This guy's a priest. He's not a doctor. What what am I going to do? This guy's dying. Is what it is. Or perhaps he was scared that the robbers were still around and he didn't want to get jumped himself. Perhaps he was too busy doing churchly things and didn't have time to, to love this man. Or perhaps, and I think this is where a lot of us land when we see somebody in need, perhaps he thought this man had done something to deserve it. Maybe he thought this man, you know what? This guy was probably flaunting gold chains and making himself a target. That's why he got jumped. Or or maybe he was half drunk walking down the road and he'd already fallen and somebody just took all of his stuff. He he probably, he might've interjected such a a thing. Verse 32, we see a Levite. So a Levite being a a helper of the priest may have just come from the same church and, and he does the same thing. He passes by on the other side. So character number four, this Levite, a servant of the church, a servant of the temple, a servant of the priest, Sees this man and he just passes him by. Perhaps he knew the priest had left the temple an hour before he did, so he's like, Well, the priest passed him by. I guess if the priest didn't stop, I guess I don't need to stop. Or maybe he thought, uh, you know, I've been serving people all week. I I, I don't have it in me. I'm 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 cashed. Jesus doesn't clarify any of these motives, right? This is this is when we look at the text, when we try to Try to put ourselves in the text. This is this is some of the things that I see. These are some of the excuses I've made. Some of the excuses we make. We all struggle with them. Like he's going back to this idea of somebody broken down on the side of the road. And this is this is my heart has gone to this exact place. See some guy broke down on the side of the road, and I'm like, well, shouldn't have bought a Dodge. Not my fault. We we come up with all. I mean, then how foolish is that? Maybe, maybe we see it's a junky car. We're like, we should have bought a better car. I don't know. Or you see him with the flat tires. Like, well, that's why I always keep new tires on my car. Shouldn't have written on those bald tires. That's your fault. We pass him up all the time. So we come now to verse thirty three, and the Samaritan it says, "But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him." He had compassion. Character number five, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've, you've heard this idea that the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. The, the Samaritans were seen by the Jews as like muggles. They were half-breeds. They were half-bloods. They, they worshipped pagan gods. There's some stories, too, where, where they threw the blood of pigs in the temple like they were they were nasty, they hated one another. It's, it's worth pointing out that just before this in Luke, Jesus had taken his disciples to preach the good news to the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had rejected them. And yet we see Jesus, a Jewish man, making a Samaritan the hero. We see Jesus making a very clear racial distinction right here. And people, including some big pastors have made statements as of late that the gospel has nothing to do with social justice and racial diversity. And when we bring it up in the church, we're taking away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not the case. They're wrong. Dead wrong. They're smarter than me in a lot of ways, but they got that one dead wrong. Jesus is making the Samaritan the hero of the story. Just after the Samaritans kicked him out of of their place, just after they'd done all these things. And Jesus is just pushing the face of this lawyer into the ground as, as, as he does with you, me and he does with you. Jesus is using this short story to call the religious and self-justified to repentance, but he's also calling us who use race or class or gender or any other distinction to divide us from them, calling us to repentance. In verse 34, we see the Samaritan. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him, the Samaritan. He saw and had compassion. He went and gave him help. He met his immediate needs. We're the worst about this. This is our day and age. We're, we're really good at the first part. We can see and have compassion. And we can post a nice Instagram story. We can post a nice Facebook blog about these people in need but how much how many of us are actually doing anything about it it's not enough to see we have to do and not only did he meet his immediate needs in verse 35 the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay you when i come back So this amount of money uh, is basically like two days wages. So for the median income in our area, that's like two to four hundred bucks. So the guy gives him two hundred, four hundred dollars and says, hey, take care of this guy. If you need anything else, I'll be back. I'll I'll, I'll make up the difference. So not only is he picking him up and meeting his immediate needs, but he's making sure that this guy has what he needs to get back on his feet. And he's not pulling out ten grand. I think some of us, it's like, we, we don't feel like we can do it. We don't, we don't have the means. We're probably, you know, we're not South Reno. We're not riding in Bentleys. But, I'll <laughs> uh, just pick on them. I, I'll call Ryan and apologize. But, uh, you know what? I might not be able to buy a new car for a guy who, who can't get to work, but I can, I can give him a ride. I can pick him up. I can take him with me. It's not a big deal. So Jesus, after sharing this story, says, Which of these three do you think provided or proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. I picture the lawyer kind of hanging his head here. If you know anybody that's a lawyer, or, you know, those super smart people, they're a lot of confidence until you nail them on something. Mm, the one who gave him mercy. <laughs> you notice that he doesn't even say the Samaritan. This guy hates Samaritans so much, he won't even say the Samaritan is the good guy. He just says the one who showed him mercy. I find it, I don't know, interesting, motivational. Uh, I cried like a baby when I listened to it, but Martin Luther King Jr.'s last sermon before he was assassinated was this text, the story of the good Samaritan. And he said this, And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? We're not called to leave here and simply have compassion. We're called to be the hands and feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're called to go and do. So as we look at these five characters, we have to ask ourselves, who who are we? Who are we in this story? A lot of these stories that Jesus tells us, we have to ask ourselves, who are we? Who Who is God calling me to be? What is God calling me to repent of? Maybe we're like the lawyer and we're trying to justify ourselves. Maybe we're looking to find loopholes and turn blind eyes to certain people and it doesn't have to be racial. We all have some group of people that we don't really care for and we avoid serving those people. We don't see their needs as that important. I think when we try to analyze if we're uh, someone who tries to justify themselves, I think one good thing you can do, think about when somebody asks you, why do you believe or, or why are you saved or what, what does being a Christian mean? Or if, if your story is more about you than it is about Jesus Christ, you might consider yourself self-justified because our story is Jesus, 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 Jesus and more Jesus. Maybe we're like the victim, I know there's some of us here today, we feel beaten down. We feel like we have no hope. We're unable to help ourselves. I wanna point you back again to Jesus' sermon on the Mount. He starts the whole thing out saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're here today and that's where you're at, I encourage you to you know, talk to myself, one of, the, one of the pastors of this church. I hope that you're in a community group and I hope you feel like you can share that burden with your community group so people can love and support you. Maybe you're like the, the, the Levite. says, oh, it's not my job. Or maybe you're like the priest, you're too busy, too busy doing church things even. You know, I stacked chairs after church today, I don't have time to help that guy. Maybe you think someone else will do it, maybe maybe you feel like you've already done your good deed, maybe you're afraid of the cost. The thing is, that each one of us is every one of these characters. Maybe not all at the same time, but possibly all on the same day. We've got to ask ourselves, what excuses are we making to not stop and help those in need? Jesus is calling us to be like the good Samaritan who filled with compassion, he gets off his animal and he moves to help this man. He pulls him up out of the ditch. He meets his needs. Living like this, it's It's costly. But this text is calling us to help without regard for our own well being. It's calling us to not question the circumstances that landed somebody where they are, but to meet their need. And not just willing to meet their immediate needs, but willing to invest in people in situations that get sticky and costly. Jesus is showing us that when he says you are to love your neighbor, it's not the narrow brush that he's painting with. He's painting broad strokes. He's not saying, hey, this is about helping the homeless guy give him a sandwich. He's not saying this is, this is about helping those less fortunate. He's saying this is everybody, everywhere, every time. This is what Jesus is calling us to. I think sometimes we struggle with even knowing what to do. But God has put certain talents, certain passions within each of us that, that are very well could be what God has intended us to do as, as, as servants of him. There's all kinds of, of ways we can serve uh, in Northern Nevada. You know, you have the Nevada Food Bank. They're always looking for help. We have uh, Pastor Nathan Dupree as part of uh, Blue, uh, 360 Blueprint. Always want to say Blueprint 360. It seems to roll off the tongue better. But they're, uh, they're an organization that reads to kids. I imagine that most of us in this room can read. That's not hard. Go to go to you know you can take an hour out of your day once a week to go read with these kids and help them be, get to a reading level that's going to push them to success. There's foster care and adoption. There's people in this very church that serve women in the in the sex industry. There are ways that we can serve their people. We don't have to be the brainchild. We don't have to do it on our own. We can just be the bodies that help people who are moving towards loving and serving our city. I think we have to stop. We have to stop and think, if I'd spent less time looking at my own problems or my own to-do list and took more time to lend a hand to someone in need, what would that point people to? And I really want to drive this home with a whole bunch of scripture right here at the end, because this is not my idea. I'm not making this stuff up. This is this is what our Lord and Savior preached. This is what our Lord and Savior taught the apostles, and they taught. So I'm going to throw a bunch of text on the screen for a minute, and, and we're going to read through them. Uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, just after writing 11 and 12, where he's talking about, Spiritual gifts and, and the, the, the things that were given to serve the church. He's talking about all of these, um, the, being the body members that, that Kyle was just talking about. Some of us are, are like hands and some of us are like toes and some of us are belly buttons and uh, other things. But he says, that he makes this long, long diatribe of things. And then he says in verse 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and I I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And he takes it even farther. If I give away everything that I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What if the world saw this Christian? What if the the world saw Christians that went out of their way to love everybody instead of judge everybody? What would that point to? John 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. I grew up in in, uh, Atlanta for uh, about 20 years. And uh, if you know anything about Southern Baptists, um, I struggled with this. Because what I saw in the church were were people that were, well, we're going to show people who are Christians by wearing khaki pants and by praying very long uh, prayers before we eat and by not doing anything that looks bad in public. But Jesus isn't asking for that. He says, if you show love, they'll know you are Christians. And then 1 John, if you haven't read 1 John 1, or 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, they're all quick, easy reads, and they're an amazing, just, man, when you're feeling down, read them. Lift me up. But John says this. He says in uh, 1 John 3, 16 and 18, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, speaking of Jesus. And we ought to lay down our lives for, our, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. Notice he doesn't say just in word or talk. He says not in word or talk. But in deed and in truth. And then in 4. Uh, seven through 11 beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god and he cuts deep anyone who does not love does not know god because god is love in this the love of god was made manifest among us that god sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him and this is love Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Serving others, loving our neighbors, it takes sacrifice. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our talent, our comfort, our peace. It's costly. I mean it is it's, when you speaking about and I'll do it now because my kids aren't here yet, but speaking about adoption and, and foster, it costs it costs a ton of comfort. It's, it's painful, It's disruptive. But God has called us to love and to make those sacrifices, not because we're good, but because Jesus has sacrificed everything for us. By loving others, we are inviting outsiders to become insiders. By loving God, we are becoming disciples. And in love, we are making disciples. By loving others, we are seeking unity and diversity. And loving others, we are supporting the mission of God's church being planted throughout the world. And by loving others in our city, we are being in the city for the city. In Jeremiah 29 um, Jeremiah is writing a letter to God's people who are in exile, and these people want to get out. And, and And many of the people are saying, "Yeah, God is about to deliver us from from the hand of our our captors." And Jeremiah writes this letter, basically saying that's not the case. And he says in verse seven of twenty nine, "But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare." you will find your welfare. This is a call to be in the city for the city. So now we come to the table, the Lord's table, the this time of communion. I'd like to invite uh, those who will be serving communion up to, to prepare the elements. And when we take communion, we're approaching a table more important than any of those found anywhere else. See, in this table, We find the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and his body broken for us and his blood poured out for our sins that says, I know, I know you haven't loved perfectly. I know it's hard. I know you fail. But I have loved you perfectly. I have forgiven you. I have given you grace. And we come to his table to celebrate that truth. It's one of two sacraments. We're also doing baptisms today. So we get the the double whammy. This morning uh, this is one part of our service where if you are not a believer we ask that you don't participate not to not to put you down but because this is a proclamation that we see Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior that we see his blood on the cross his body broken as a propitiation for our sin and we have claimed Christ. So we ask that you refrain from taking this if you are not a, a believer this morning, but this invitation to the Lord's table is, is for you, if that's you. And if you have heard the word of God this morning and that's something you you feel is moving in your heart, I invite you to, to again talk to myself or one of the pastors this morning. But remember that because Jesus loved us to the point of laying down his life, we can go and do likewise. Amen.